0: O-T-B-G-A-A True, when Mike retired I became the heaviest player in the dressing room so I was often on Paul Gaddon's back before he came (laughs) Subscribe to the O-T-B-G-A-A podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts The Sunday Papers
1: on Off The Ball
0: Now you're uh, welcome along Sunday Papers coming at you Plenty going on as you can imagine The dubs are all over the back pages after yesterday's win against Monaghan. So picture here of James McCarthy, who's been extraordinary all year and continues um, to do his thing. The final frontier, Dublin beat Monaghan to reach first to All-Ireland final since 2020. 117 to 13 points, slightly deceptive scoreline if you didn't see the game. They were level on 60 minutes and then the dubs... Did their thing. And then beneath that, Duncan Castles has PSG are now ready to join the race for Harry Kane. So Kane has agreed terms, it seems, with Bayern, but PSG are about to get involved. And uh, it seems Harry Kane has a double your money offer from Spurs on the table. But that Daniel Levy says uh, Castles will absolutely sell him this summer if no deal is agreed he's not letting him go for free next year so that's the Sunday Times the uh, Sunday Independent have a picture of Brian Fenton quiet-ish first half only-ish but uh, second half and particularly in those uh, final 10-15 minutes he came to the four as he tends to do Fenton fires Dublin to final and uh, Dermot Crow writes that the Rock goal put the uh, gloss on finish for Farrell's men Next, we have uh, Sunday World Rocky Road to Dublin. That's um, again yesterday's win, one seventeen to thirteen points. Costello, the star man, with uh, Dean Rock's late goal finally uh, seen off. Brave Farney Army is the uh, lead there. Sun Sport has uh, Desi Farrah looking ahead to the final, but also next plan up Vera we have scenarios ready if Denise is injured this is uh, Vera Powell, who will come to in a few moments time talking about uh, potentially and it is only potentially the loss of Denise O'Sullivan after the uh, abandoned game against Columbia on Friday night where she picked up an injury not a fracture is the good news then we have the Mail on Sunday that James McCarthy picture again where he's uh, screaming at full time to the sky and it's Dublin 117 Monaghan 13 points Monaghan make dubs earn place in final and uh, Mark Gallagher, Pow tries to remain positive after Columbia chaos and injury to O'Sullivan. Um, so they are your back pages. Very happy to say we have John Green in, editor of the Sunday Independent Sports section, and Dan McDonnell of the Irish Independent. You're both very welcome. Thank, so, thank you. you. Uh, on Dublin Mead, they're both winning yesterday at Croke Park. A decent semi-final between Monaghan and Dublin level after... 60 minutes, I think they were level six times throughout. Monaghan never actually took the lead and before that Colm O'Rourke and me, the Talchin Cup champions, Joe Brawley uh, writing about it here on page two of the Sunday Independent, he notes that Colm O'Rourke conducted his, uh, well son to be fair, of his post-match interview in Latin when he was asked how Mead would celebrate, he said Nunc est bibendum, which means now is the time for drinking and uh, he uh, pays tribute to O'Rourke as a man who'd been written off as a bit of a dinosaur pre-game, not least next to Conor Laverty, who Brawley says is a thoroughly modern coach expert in the blanket defensive counter-attacking system against column, a dinosaur hopelessly lost in the helter-skelter of the 80s, 90s. But Brawley basically says that um, O'Rourke has uh, a certain trust in his players to be brave. Like Brian Cody, he trusts his players, he treats them as adults, and uh, Brolly, who, you know, has talked about this kind of thing. Ad nauseum, really, the endless rehearsal and constant instruction which creates fear, is replaced by Colm O'Rourke with an encouragement to go out and give life a bloody go. So in this second half, they played brilliantly, thrilling football, all adventure, long kicking, dramatic, high catching, points from distance, Jack Flynn scored four monstrous points, high up over the block, uh, reminiscent of a young Colm O'Rourke. No greater compliment will ever be paid to the boy uh, so that's his general sense of um, O'Rourke just a big tribute to uh, the dinosaur who actually knows a thing or two
1: I'm not sure who I was actually uh, I'm not sure who on the team last night in, in the in the paper came up with the headline O'Rourke fluent in the language of football but obviously um, Colin was uh, a columnist for us for many many years yeah. uh, 30 years or so and that sums him up perfectly he, he he eats, sleeps and breeds football but he does it slightly differently I think and he has been portrayed a little bit as a dinosaur and actually Joe was meant to be writing a piece about the solely focused on the Dublin match uh, last night but he, he rang and said that he'd, he'd like to do a little bit about Colm as well which was fine and he captures him really well he, he he says I've toured the corridors of St Pat's and Nav and the school where Colm was principal up until this year in the company of Colm and enjoyed his easy mischievous relationship with the kids and staff and their obvious affection and respect for him I've walked, I've done that tour as well and it's, it's incredible to see the way he interacted with with the teachers and with the students, and there was a very obvious affection, and there was always a bit of mischief there. And famously, on every Friday afternoon, he sent an email around to all the parents of the kids in the school. There was a sort of a passing itself off loosely as a newsletter, but which was always full of divemint and jokes and crack. And uh, he just has that easy way with him, and that translates into how he's training this Mead football team. Mead have been Pretty, you know, in a downward spiral for quite some time now. And I I spoke to him after I, I, after he took the job, and he said the first thing he he intended to do was to go in and get them to enjoy their football again. And you can see it yesterday with the team, the way they played, and with the way they celebrated winning the Talton Cup. You know, some years ago, people in Mead might have thought that the Talton Cup was beneath them, but. not Not anymore they're, they know where they are in football 's pecking order, and happy that they have a group of players and a manager that they think can start the journey back to wh- you know where they're challenged in Dublin in Leinster. Yeah. He just has a different attitude to football I think than than a lot of people and I know he gave a presentation, they had a meeting several months ago with the the players and there was a PowerPoint presentation and even the thoughts of him doing a PowerPoint presentation kind of seems a bit odd but he he did the PowerPoint presentation about what they were planning and what they were going to do and uh, he he didn't tell me this, it was somebody else who was at the meeting but the final point um, and his last point before he signed off uh, was uh, and remember fellas, enjoy yourselves and enjoy life and... uh, you know, I don't think we see enough of that, and we certainly haven't seen much of that in Gaelic football this summer. No. Twenty
0: twenty three. Sean Boylan and Colm O'Rourke are still at the helm of uh, Gaelic football.
1: I, I met Sean recently, and uh, I, I'd known quite well. He's he's a relation of my wife's, and uh, he's. He, I'd say he just can't believe that he's 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 here and he's back again, and he's sitting in a dugout in Crow Park, and apparently. Um, Talks a lot to the players, gives gives talks, and does a lot of work behind the scenes. And you know, sometimes you'd wonder about the kind of the d- dynamic now between young people and sort of somebody who's, who's uh, in his seventies, and the, he, he's adored by the by the squad, and he brings something different, just as he did all those years ago, first time around. Another
0: good winner for the Talchin Cup.
1: Yeah, it's a good start for the good two years for it, isn't it? And, yeah, and and proof that the Talden Cup was absolutely needed you know Mm. Uh, the idea that there shouldn't be two tiers in Gaelic football was was, for some time now has clearly been outdated you know
0: yeah Uh, just on the dubs to finish off that Joe Brody piece I mean 60th minute they are level at 12 points apiece and then uh, Fenton scored a point and then dubs another turnover of a defender and then they win the next two kickouts and suddenly they're three points up and then the goal happens and it's done. He says the dubs played below their best for most of the game. They looked ordinary at times, dull and lethargic. Most of them will be annoyed how they played. They underestimated Monaghan. They disrespected them. They'll be bristling for the next fortnight. As Mickey Hart said on the BBC, the perfect way for them to reach the uh, final. That was kind of the atmosphere yesterday.
1: They were like the last 20 minutes, weren't they? They were... Were they trading on memory almost? I mean, they, they, just that. Those experienced players, James McCarthy, uh, Jack McCaffrey, I thought Fenton really in the last 15 minutes took the fight to them. Obviously, Cormac Costello, who's, who's still in his 20s, late 20s, but had been consistent all through but those big guys Mick Fitzsimons full back three of those guys are chasing their ninth All-Ireland medal and it felt like the old boxers just trading on instinct and trading on memory and going to the well well one more time now in in the final
0: Yeah it has that feel Uh, so that's the the sense of the GA yesterday Kerry against uh, Derry is on the menu today The other story which is in all the back pages is the Irish team over in Australia, Vera Pau's quotes. So, for instance, here on the back page of the Mail, Pau tries to remain positive after Columbia chaos. Uh, Vera Pau insisting she doesn't regret regret choosing Columbia. Uh, O'Sullivan, Denise O'Sullivan, suffered a bad shin injury following a challenge in the 19th minute of this behind-closed-doors match and... uh, Pow says they have some hope she might make the Australia game. The situation is going to become much clearer in the Mm. next 24 hours or so. So uh, she said that Ruisha Littlejohn had been the victim of a head-high challenge a couple of minutes before the O'Sullivan tackle. And it was on that basis that they decided to uh, end the match. There's a more detailed piece inside, which I'll come to in a second. But general thoughts, Dan, this build-up to... World Cup has and it's something Eamon Sweeney touches on it, as well in his piece uh, from the Celtic Symphony after the qualification to the uh, Athletic Report last week and now an abandoned game it's not kind of this straightforward this is just a wonderful story history in the making uh, for this Irish team, kind of a vibe. It, it, that, no. that kind of <laughs> that straightforward feel-good factor hasn't actually been there. And, and, and eight nine months ago, you would have anticipated that.
2: Yeah, no. It's look. I mean, I suppose when when you know you're doing the papers this week, it's the Sunday before the first game, and you, and you know there's going to be a lot of coverage. Naturally and there is like some good pieces out there, you know, the sort of you know, Dave Kelly with Lily Ag and the Nee Fatty piece and
0: the mail uh, has this pull out section here, so there's yeah, that kind of there's a, a There's a lot of aspect. that stuff. But it's
2: yeah. it does seem and I know quite a few of the sort of lads are working down there, that it's it's proven far more eventful than than sort of anticipated because it is this historic moment and you probably would have expected that to build up at this stage would have all just been in the nicest way possible more of the same of what you 're talking about there. This is a wonderful but I mean the story is the story i mean it 's an evolving story even now for the, even for the sake of the Sunday papers today like it 's evolving overnight because even since these papers have come out, the footage of that denise o 'Sullivan tackle is now during the rounds. I think the the, the the people covering at the moment are now trying to ascertain can they get more footage of that game because these rare power quotes are incredibly strong. I mean, you look across the papers and as you mentioned, you know, the the, the level of aggression in the Mark Gallagher piece, Powell insisted that she had never seen a level of aggression like it in her 47 years in the game. And... Um, Notice the Paul Rowan profile of Vera Pau, I mean, which again sort of sketches out the colourful football life that she has lived. And she's seen a lot of things in mm. the football world and has been in a lot of sort of fraught situations. And, you know, across the paper she's talking about, you know, the the, the, the Little John challenge like nothing she's ever seen before. Um, but since this has happened, I presume the Colombians at a point um, have decided, well, let's sort of leak out a little bit of footage here. I don't know how it's actually come to come to get out there into the public domain. And it's. I'm not saying it's a great challenge on Denise O'Sullivan. It's a bad challenge, but maybe the initial view of it doesn't quite fit the image of of what we've seen. And I suppose you step back from it. Um, I mean, the Irish team were taken off the pitch in a game after like 23 minutes, with Vera Powell talking about, you know, Jonathan Hill, the CEO, getting a call back in Dublin from Mark Canham, the director of football, which is a, a, a sort of a mad situation in itself, if you think about it. Should we take the players off the pitch in this match here? So, I mean, in terms of a preparation for a tournament, um, I'm not going to say it's disastrous, right? But it's definitely um, bumpy. A, a really bumpy road because anyone who's watched the team will know that O'Sullivan is you know she's their their best player, the most yes, creative player, and um, you know along with Katie McCabe, but O'Sullivan is the heartbeat of the team really. And you see the think mean, it was the the mirror I think have a photograph of her in a protective boot, and it's like concerning. But there is probably a story around it now too that you could do without. Um, that you are now almost may have to at some point come out and justify the decision to take the team off in the match or explain it in some way um, because. Know, is there footage going to get out there that challenges the version of events so um it 's not ideal like it 's a great news story. this team getting to the World Cup, but I mean we were myself and John spoke about it a little bit outside. I mean you go to a tournament or you go to an olympics and and things happen you know and it's, it, it never quite always fits the bill of how you imagine it in the sort of the picture book of the mind when you qualify mm. relative to an actuality life happens and they're really experiencing that.
0: Mark Gallagher's piece in the Mail on Sunday is very good. It it, it charts the entire uh, journey to the Columbia game. Ireland had watched Columbia in their previous seven games. This wasn't what they had expected. And as you said, Dan Pau insisted she had never seen a level of aggression like it in her 47 years in the game. She saw genuine fear in the eyes of her players as they were concerned about missing out on the biggest moment of their career. As you say, the director of football from the FBI, Mark Cannon, was just off a flight and he went uh, to the game. He was a few minutes late for kickoff, but he was there and then they got on the phone to Jonathan Hill. As for the Colombians, they are not best pleased with how they've been portrayed. Their uh, defender, Daniela Caracas, has uh, suggested in a now um, notorious social media post that the uh, Irish were little girls and she said, let them eat SH1T. Now, Pau hadn't heard, says Mark Galler, what Caracas had said before yesterday's uh, briefing with newspaper journalists, and she seemed appalled by those words. I'm sorry, what? A wide-eyed Paul replied. "Uh, To be honest, I'm a bit shocked hearing this. Let's just say that maybe they were emotional too, is what Vera Pau said. She said the game started normally, very normally. It just started up then in a way that had no turnaround. First, there was a huge challenge on Ruisha Littlejohn, a challenge outside the laws of the game and she says um, within two minutes there was this challenge on Denise so it was a build-up of this. She said that the Colombian bench did not instigate their players aggressive approach she had no issue with the bench whatsoever. She did say they were of little help in calming the situation. Uh, she says as well that the Colombian staff handled the situation really well that's once the decision was made to end the game. They took their players off while we were discussing what we would do and that was in the moment that we were in discussion with the referees they also calmly left the venue went to the bus and left and it seems that um, the Irish uh, squad at large played a full 11 a side match afterwards so the players did get the preparation they did play a match Um, it was to ensure the few moments of madness says Mark Gallagher didn't disturb preparation for Thursday's clash in Sydney with the Matildas, it remains to be seen just what the consequences will be of Friday's events on the uh, World Cup Uh, the reason the footage hasn't been uploaded is there's no obligation to do so because the match didn't uh, conclude Mm. Um, so that's where we are and look it was put to pow that players have had rough treatment before, not least o'Sullivan Sullivan and McCabe, and she says, it's not comparable. This was far worse. Um, the Irish players have their first day off today since arriving in uh, Brisbane, and Mark Gallagher says, the sense was that they'll need us, given the uh, toll that the past 36 hours might have taken. Can I, um, not to pierce a good old media story, can I just offer the sense, I don't think this is a big deal in the slightest. I think the players have already forgotten about this. I think this is ancient history. I think this has no bearing on anything and if Vera Pau in a nothing match effectively a training match said you know what bit too hot for me let's just wrap it up and go fine by me I'm I'm like already over this I I don't see how this could have any negative consequences on anything
1: you know as long as um,
0: Canisio Sullivan is fit to play the first game sure but Pau's decision to wrap up the game which is the controversy I I don't I I think it's but if you touched
1: it there the whole thing feels odd it's just yeah, the whole thing feels odd and the messaging coming back feels odd and we were living the moment as I'm sure you were here yeah. through the weekend trying to you know, find out what was going on and what was happening and the updates we were getting back
0: put, put, some, put some flesh on the bones of odd
1: <laughs> the journalists were allowed to go to the game and then they got there and they were locked out and then the game starts and then it's, it's abandoned after 19 minutes or 23 minutes and there was two yellow cards or there wasn't there was a bad tackle and then you look at the footage you know and it, you know you almost had this as I said to you before we started it was almost we, we, we had this image in our heads of some somebody coming hurtling through the air yeah. flying with a, a dangerous tackle it, it looks like it was a bit of a tackle, and and my foot looks like it might have been yeah. left in. But very
0: much within, very but much within the norms of a game of football tackling. I'm, we'll football,
1: I'm a manager. It's, week, it's a few days beforehand, and I say, "Oh, I don't. She's after getting injured. I, I, don't want any more injuries. Let's just call this now. This, isn't, this actually isn't going to do what I wanted it to do. So it's better we just have a train." and say, "So what? That's a good idea. Yeah. let's do that." And a lot of the problem to me coming at this from from a media and trying to decipher it, or for Dan is, is the lack of information almost. It was, it, there was a picture going around of somebody took of her wearing a moon boot in the hotel that maybe shouldn't have been taken or maybe should have been taken, they don't want it out, they yeah. do want it out just tell us what's happening draw a line under it and move on to the next thing, And but instead it's just been this drip, 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 drip and it yeah all goes to make something that's not that extraordinary into something that appears to be extraordinary and the only thing we really care about is is our best or second best player injured for Thursday or not? Or has she a chance of making it or doesn't she? That's really all we want to know. Yeah,
2: yeah and like I think, so yeah, I wouldn't downplay it too much in the sense of I know what you're saying about the the noise around it, but like you know, Vera Powell's whole reputation is around being very meticulous in terms of her preparation. Like this World Cup, this is a World Cup plan that's been sketched out for months back. You know, they took on certain games. A big part, you know, she's actually I think has a reputation for being very like. Uh, you know sort of obsessed with the, old the injury minutia, prevention yeah. and the minutiae that Raymond Verheyen has been working who is a, a people will be aware of in his past with Jurgen Klopp so you know I would imagine everything is done to the minute in terms of preparation and to to get the pitch right and if you have one game in the country before you play your match and it's, you, you have to take the players off the pitch after 23 minutes of it mm. um, and you have players probably be like you know they had, to put out a, they had to put out a message from Denise O'Sullivan on the social media accounts which was a bit odd as well because yeah, so- didn't even make reference to her well-being um, it's become a bit of a you know a distraction I would say so I know I know what you're saying like that's no doubt what the FAO line will be now we've forgotten about this already we've moved on with it but I mean we'll see like we'll see so like, there's, what's an, the there's issue, a history though? of Ireland in major tournaments as well of uh, like, I you know, know but you of, can't no, bring no, that no, in no, no 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 you're not you're, 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 you've, you've jumped in before I finish my sentence All right. can I finish it do you know what I was going to say there I was talking about playing players with injuries you know, and having that real stress. Like, think of Ireland in the year 2012.
0: But that's well, did, that's every team. That's every... But yeah, but, you're, that's life. but that's, I think they're suggesting that
2: this hasn't been unsettling. Like, that this is forgotten about. Oh, I don't I think know. it's
0: forgotten about because Denise sullivan has gone round in a boot. I, I think Denise O'Sullivan yeah. being injured is very unsettling. But that can happen in a training match, it can happen in a training session, or it can happen in a competitive match. It's happened here. It's very unfortunate. It's nobody's fault. Like, that's life. Players get injured. I just I, I don't get the sense of like this is a great distraction or issue, like the the calling off of the game. So mm-hmm. you you, you don't I think, think Lisa Sullivan's injury is a massive You don't think pity. when
2: Powell's like doing their you know, doing a pre match stuff for the Australia game with some Colombian not gonna be there asking about oh this is you know, you've shamed our you know, our country, all this noise, I don't think it's helpful. I'm not I'm not saying yeah. it might be a great in some ways you can argue it's a great distraction because it takes complete focus off the game in their own minds. And you, yeah. can, you can flip, look like they're about to play in front of 83,000 people on Thursday or whatever, the biggest game of pretty much their lives. Mm. And you know, maybe they're not sitting around thinking about the enormity of this all the time. There's some other thing that they can get caught up in. You could spin that in a different direction. But there's definitely been an oddness, as John pointed out, that how the whole thing has played out. Oh, look, it's, very, it's very
0: unusual and maybe it's excessive caution, but she's entitled to be excessively cautious five days out from a game. I just think like it's the it's it's in the papers here and it's it's unusual so we're we're curious about it and the behind closed door aspect means we didn't really see the game but you forget all the players saw the game. I wouldn't think they've post traumatic stress based on the tackle on Denise O'Sullivan and so I think it's a quick 5 minute. Do you know what not worth it everyone we just got the game called off. We'll move on. Everyone happy? Everyone happy. It's your day off tomorrow. Great. Mm. I just think we're intrigued by it because we weren't there I, I I just i can't see how this rebounds in any great way
2: I wasn't suggesting it was going to rebound okay. anyway
0: what's yeah. the what 's the issue
2: I think I think it's just it's it, it ties in with the fact that as we as we sort of presented this piece at the start that yeah. it hasn 't been the type of build up to the World Cup that you would have envisaged, and this has been another layer to it, and it just goes to show how you can have the best laid plans, but they just get thrown asunder by circumstances. And this yeah. is what they're this is what they're dealing with now. And as with all these things, we may find out in time the impact they had, which could have been nothing at all, or else it actually has been, because when I mean, they're trying to do a preppy. I know what you are saying with the O'Sullivan injury, but even just I don't know, is there st- even is it just the administrators down there are caught up with all this oh God like, you know, back and forth with the Colombians and what's coming out and
0: they've made their official crisis stance. management Let and them all shit. This stuff. That's all the Colombians have to say the have said.
2: the Colombians got more to come. <laughs> you know, but it, this 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 footage of the game has been like you know I don't know been burned somewhere or whatever. Like I, these twenty three minutes that they're like uh, we, we all want to see these twenty three uh, minutes. In Twenty years, these yeah. twenty
0: three minutes will be uh, uh, legendary. It, I, what did you think of the tackle as well? The, I just
2: said it. I mean, like. It, I, we only have, one angle like we yeah. only have one angle of it. We only have one angle of it. It looks like not even a red. Well, it looks like one where it's like you leave one in on someone, yeah. as 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 the old pro would say. You saw the chance there to, you know, leave something in. It doesn't look great, but as I said, the you know when you've committed stuff to the record about you know the worst challenge you've seen in all your years previously, well then obviously you know the Colombians are probably going to say I wouldn't mind seeing let's see the footage of that too, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but it looked it looked like a a bad challenge but I, I agree with your view that I'm not sure if it's a red card challenge the, the wider
1: issue I suppose it, the wider issue and Eamon touches on it in the Sunday Independent Eamon Sweeney but uh, it's, yeah. it's it's everywhere is this has just become some kind of a rolling mall of distraction after distraction now since the team since yeah. the squad was named um, I mean there was Katie McCabe at that press conference before the France game was clearly Mm. very irritated so it's more I think it's probably more to do with this now all these dist- distractions and elements of bad luck that have been creeping into the you know in, even in terms of the draw that they got it's that kind of thing and uh, just to mention briefly on that vein I mean this is a, a, Nadine Doherty touches on this on the but Orly McElroy in the mail just underneath Mark Gallagher's piece is talking about we're, we're a few days out from a World Cup where's the excitement where's the penetration into kind of everyday life yeah. of the fact that we have a team just about to go into the World Cup and she talks about um, it appears that she, kids should be running around in their Sky branded jerseys with McCabe 11 or a Sullivan 10 printed on the back but it, it appears they can't because it seems impossible to get Sky jerseys into junior sizes so she's talking about spending a day last week running around from shop to shop trying to get gear That's that celebrates yeah. Uh This this team and its achievement, and she signs off by saying, "Women's sport is constantly underestimated, and so it seems are the supporters." So these are the kind of things around this team that, okay, they're they're going to be oblivious of that. But this this feeling that you, what is it, four days away now, five days away, for people who who want to see women's sport become more visible and more mainstream it feels like we're creeping ever closer to the possibility of an opportunity being missed to celebrate it properly. Mm. Um... I, I just can't understand there isn't merchandise all over the place there there's, there's
2: been there. some issue around that as well, yeah like I think I mean look it's a good problem to have it I is suppose, relative to where the team has come from um you know when they you know they, they they couldn't even get appropriate gear for the team yeah. you know yeah. um yeah. so I suppose to to have a situation where the fans are sort of uh, they're, they're, that that has come up But so like the, the ad that's sure running
1: I mean. on t v is is really really powerful Powerful. yeah I think it'll ramp
2: I do think that this stuff will probably ramp up I think the news cycle is shorter for a lot of things now and I feel maybe the long build up there's so much else going on I can understand that to a degree I feel like once we get to, to Tuesday Wednesday afternoon you know you know, even maybe maybe it's unusual that it might take till that first match and people on Thursday morning are suddenly jarring to a standstill and then suddenly it's there. Mm. You know, and it's there. But as as John alludes to, you know, you if Ireland um you get a heroic result, you'd imagine there's more people looking for merchandise yeah. <laughs> in the aftermath and, and you can't satisfy mean, that. It's not, not that the
1: players are invisible. Like one of the great things about, you know, um and the same applies to, to, to ladies' football and to camogie, um the the, the players are extremely uh, open and yeah. available to, to media in a way that you know isn't the same in men's sports. So th- these are visible; these are people that are easily identifiable that kids can kind of relate to. Yeah. You, you just would fear that on the Sunday before a World Cup starts, that it's a, it's very low key.
0: Yeah, I I would tend to agree with Dan. I think come Wednesday and then I mean Thursday morning is going to be wall to wall. You'll turn on the radio; it'll be huge excitement, and then it'll kick on for the next what Ten days after that yeah see so the real challenge
2: out. I think is, is actually what happens after the tournament but that's probably it's probably not a discussion for today I mean they're trying to sell a game in the Aviva yes and probably off the back of this Um. but I suppose you know there, there's possibly times in the year you know where the, you know you could have a women 's international around that time and there might not be anything in the Sunday papers you know like it's just the nature of it's it's we in this country, and as other sports now, with the hockey teams and and sort of women's rugby Six Nations winning teams, yeah. that you have your window, which everyone is great actually for getting caught up in the moment. But the real battle is the sustained discussion. Yes, yes. That's obviously um, maybe that's something at the end of the year we're we'll reflecting on this Irish World Cup journey
0: through that lens. No, fair. And look, if there's no such thing as bad publicity, look at this few days out, bit of drama, Joe. Bit of drama, bit of mystery. As, a, as, a, as, as just a, like,
2: like, you know, you're just like, I'm, I'm trying just, to play it down. You're trying to play yeah. it
1: down. I mean, yeah. Actually, it does, I mean, you touched on it, it doesn't even rank in our great. Uh, Sporting scandal, you know. Going, no, we, we just don't see. I say, was saying it outside, we just don't seem to be able to go anywhere for a big tournament without <laughs> something,
2: something happening, yeah.
0: something going wrong. Yeah. Let's take a short break. Dan McDonald, John Green, staying with us back in just one moment. Welcome back. So, uh, we'll turn from World Cup to. Oh, I say this with trepidation. We won't spend too long in this if you have had your fill of the Oroctus this week. I get it. We've all had a lot of eructus in I advice. was
2: there, Joe, for six hours. So oh, we're you? To. Talk to me about it. <laughs> well, uh, I'm, I'm sorry it was tough for you dealing with it for whatever, a couple hours on the show. It was You tough. could have sat through the whole thing. No. Oh and goodness. for my sins, I sat through it at home. Uh, right. no, okay. Yeah, I would see there was the Labour debate on football that morning as well. So there was, it, was a, it was a full day of it.
0: Well, Shane McGrath, I think, captures a general feeling out there, which is just that the politicians are of a certain standard in so many instances. So he's talking here about the Oroctus Committee on the Future of Broadcasting, where, to be fair in the main, it was about GAA Go and the GAA. So the headline is, lots of sob stories but little light. Grandstanding tales of the vulnerable allow politicians to ignore sports meteor issues. And uh, I think this is just a point everybody will uh, agree with pretty swiftly and we can move on. So he mentions the Fianna Fáil TD, Christopher O'Sullivan, I have to say I thought this was a joke as well that he was bringing this up as a serious point but he said basically he brought up an elderly gentleman who was unable to access Cork temporary on GA Go for whatever reason he doesn't give the reasons whether it was financial or technological I don't know but uh, he had to watch the match in his son-in-law's home and this was a great inconvenience that is the end of that story and then Matty McGrath As uh, Shane brilliantly says, reliably failing to stay in the same postal district as the topic, roared in the same committee uh, about an older man who couldn't get into a club game in Tipperary because of the move towards a cashless payment. And Tom Ryan took a deep breath and had to inform Matty that, you know, this had been the situation for a decade. But it was, I don't know, news to Matty or he hadn't got over it yet, but he brought that up. And then in fairness, Tommy Conlon covers it brilliantly as well on the Sunday Independent. The GAA, to their credit, have like a on-the-QT kind of a plan B in that instance where if somebody comes up and they just have to pay in cash for whatever reason and they've no other way of doing it, Tom Ryan sort of probably didn't want to say it too loudly in case everybody starts doing it, although why they would, I don't know. But he he said, look, the plan there is we just let them in. So of the two million that they uh, make in gate receipts, 15,000 euro comes from cash at Turnstiles. And Tommy says... um, it was uh, a beating heart, a touch of compassion, a relic of old decency in the midst of all the computerised and dehumanised protocols of modern commerce. But that was exercise in Matty McGrath, and um, Shane basically concludes: for every TD or senator who had done their research and who was interested in answers, there is at least one who grandstands and plays the occasion for chief cheap points, easy attention. It's precisely how the political system engages with sport. They use it as a podium when times are good and then when there's a controversy, they howl in outrage and trip over each other in pursuit of the easiest, laziest points. And uh, he mentions Brendan Griffin, the Kerry TD, talking about so many deprived children around the country not seeing David Clifford's pass. Shane writes, there is no way surely that an adult could believe that there are children whimpering about their inability to see the famed pass of the week. Um... Not to mention, they could have seen it in the highlights. I mean, the kids can see it. You know, I watched the Sunday game as a kid. I survived if I didn't see the live game. And uh, he concludes by saying, "Come the All Ireland finals, the best seats in Crow Park will groan under the weight of delighted TDs and senators. Their access will be uninterrupted as they celebrate the glories of the GA." I, I dare say, Dan, you share. Shane McGrath's uh, sense of frustration with so oh. many of our politicians and yeah. their interactions with sport.
2: Yeah, because like, I mean, there was a full, there was a football debate that morning and, as well, and it was a sort of a Labour motion, and you know, some good points. But it, it is like um, it's like these American town hall presidential debates we watch, where it's like part of the thing is, well, I spoke to you know you know, Denise, a 44-year-old in Idaho. And it's just like, it's the same thing. We need a case study. Everyone needs a case study. And I know John and others made the point this week. It's just the sheer frustration of these committee hearings because within, there was an opportunity to have a lot of important discussions around this. Naturally, like, this is the power of the GEA uh, and particularly because it, it's almost the effectiveness of the GEA as we know it's like the, the, it sort of touches every parish and it runs in line with how our political system works it, they literally run hand in hand with this country that your whole existence is, is based around you know all politics being local so it, it was impossible for anyone to independently almost contribute to debate in very general terms, um, and and move it on. Like, there was the odd odd sort of TD who would come in with some sh- short, sharp questioning, which was quite effective. I Alan Dillon, Dillon was be, mentioned.
1: Alan Dillon being yeah. a good example.
2: and we've seen a lot of people even who may not have watched this, but they've watched the Top stuff, the RTE stuff, you know, can get a flavour of how it works. And there was Shane Castles was there, asked a couple of questions, and we were touching it later, around a, a different subject, because there was actually, like, TG Cat were there and there was a couple of other broadcasting issues that I think could have been raised like this is i don't know when they're going to get all these people in a room again um to talk about this but of course it was pretty much there, there was, for most of the politicians, it was like, well, it's a GEA issue. Uh, I need to be seen to be vocal on this, even if my point is exactly the same point as the person who spoke previously. Yeah. And, that's, and that's a shame. But, I mean, this is how um, this is how democracy works here. And
0: well, it's that's what the, it was. Their, their, their local um, office will clip up their question to the GEA and it'll be all over local social media. And,
2: like, even, I, was, I think the point was made somewhere else this week, um, you know, like Brendan Griffin was certainly, I mean, certainly, I mean, it seems like any politician from Kerry definitely takes it in a particular direction. But I mean, everyone's at it. But he, he's even, he isn't even standing for election next time. So it's not even a sort of a, a long range election play. It's just like a condition. Mm. that This is part of, um, this is part where you have to bring it. But um, I mean, it's deeply, it's deeply frustrating because I did feel like almost your frustration with it would would almost cloud the fact that there was some interesting... Aspects yeah. teased out when it got to like specific viewing figures and information that eventually some people started to tease it out in the latter stage of it. There,
0: well, well, Mick Foley's account on several occasions says they touched on something interesting here, but then it was never followed up on yeah. uh, across several issues. There's there's two elements to it really. Um, the, the first element is the the Oireachtas committee itself
1: and how awful it. it I mean, it's it, it's easy to kick politicians, but it was awful and. We have to remember that this was the same committee that had done quite good work and in in, in the large part asked excellent questions when RTE were in before them. All of a sudden, you take sport and you put them in a room and it's just this Gambianism takes over. And and I don't know why, because sport is very serious. There's a lot it, We spend it is, a lot of money I,
0: in sport. I do understand that human nature of real politics, real issues. Yeah. You're talking about the children's hospital, you're talking about money. Suddenly a game not being on TV. Yeah. I can see but how there that are, doesn't feel so important. There
1: are really important questions that are still outstanding the, the RTE's appearance like those people there like I don't know what the IRFU were doing there because they, they, they just sat back and probably just watched everything happening around them the FAI had a pretty uh, did,
0: we, did we, did we F- mention we have a team in the World Cup final Friday F- and we're the number one team yeah, in the world yeah, yeah. they were
2: just like this is fine the FEI had a little bit a little bit towards the end but it was pretty much it- was
1: the, the, yeah. like, the, it, stuff came up and because of the way it was set up that uh, somebody only had four minutes th- you know with some of them thankfully they only had four minutes but with others with someone like Alan Dillon he needed more time needed more time are and, we saying Oireachtas committee structures
0: is the new championship structure <laughs>
1: yeah. so I'm going to move away from the Oireachtas committee structure and the real important thing that they they got to the door, but they didn't go through. It was
0: this whole GAA go, Tommy Collins sums up that. So I'll, I'll, I'll read what Tommy has and then you can give us your thoughts, John. Uh, the question is whether RTE in particular is not caught in a conflict of interest. This is towards the end of Tommy's piece where he's um, charted the efforts early on, which aren't good. But then this key point, he says, uh, Alan Dillon, who did do very well, in fairness, didn't beat around the bush with Declan McBennett, RTE's group head of sport, Are you not cherry-picking the top GEA clashes to drive profit and subscription at GEA Go, he asked. No, absolutely not, replied McBennett. And the defence of GEA, and I suppose by extension RTE, is that the CCCC choose the games. It's that simple. And Declan McPennett said look we have 31 championship games that are free to air to be fair 16 of those are predetermined as in we have to show the provincial finals we have to show semi-finals we have to show finals so actually there isn't as much choice as you would think and um RTE pays the piper, writes Tommy Conlon, but the CCC calls the tune. Therefore, when Kerry Tyrone was fixed for the Saturday, the broadcaster had no choice but to put it on GAA Go. The bumper payday that ensued was a happy but accidental dividend. Dylan says, but why can't you broadcast that game on a Saturday? McBennett's reply, because the two games that were assigned to us that weekend were Sunday games. It's a CCCC decision, Deputy. After further over and back between them, Dylan accuses RTE Sport of driving profit with G A Go. McBennett, I'm, I'm not deputy. I do not accept that point. Dylan believes it's a valid point. McBennett does not. Taw or Neil, we didn't have Hawkeye to decide on this one. The debate is moot for what remains of the season, but the punters who pay their licence fee will still be very much Neil in 2024. So that kind of... That, the nub of that issue is never fully He's so so. out or a conclusion is not quite reached. Declan McBennett, adamant. Look, CCCC picked the games... We get Sunday, GEA gets Saturday, nothing to do with us. It's all on the CCCC. And I'm not having that. Right. Okay, and the reason
1: I'm not having that is because I think if Alan Dillon had more time, he wasn't having it either. And I think he... W- I'm going to try and put words in his mouth, but where I think he was going with this is there's two elements. One, why can't they show again on Saturday? And there seems to be resistance not in RTE sport per se but in the institution of RTE to show live games on Saturday unless they have no choice to like an Ireland semi-final but more than that so so Declan McBennett's argument was that once the draw was made we applied to have two games and they were Kerry and Tyrone and Dublin and Mayo they were the two games that we wanted to show on the Sunday CCC only fixed one of them for the Sunday nothing we could do yeah. anybody who watches the GA or knows anything about how the GA works, knows that once that draw was made, there was absolutely no chance that Kerry and Dublin were going to be on the same double, double header. It just wasn't going to happen because of the logistics of yeah. the amount of people that want to actually go to the games. Yeah. So you're applying to show two games that you instinctively know are not going to be on the same bill. Yeah. So who benefits? So all, 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 all you don't know when you're making that application is which game is going to be on Saturday and which game is on Sunday. That's where the CCC decision comes into. S- it could have been the Dubs on the Saturday and Kerry on Sunday and Dublin would have been behind the paywall. Yeah,
0: that's out of this weekend,
1: I suppose. Yeah. That, yeah. So you, you instinctively know that that's going, what's going to happen. Uh, who benefits? RTE benefits from either way because of its connection to GA Go. And this is where we get to the nub of the problem, which is that GA Go is absolutely here to stay and is a requirement, I think. If if we're going to see more games of football and hurling being broadcast whatever way, then GA Go is a necessity. The question then is, which is what they they didn't really get to, is why is it a 50-50 partnership with RTE? Why is it not a 100% GAA-owned product that is then... Farmed out in whatever way. After that, an RTE may be required to broadcast some of the games, or some other production company be re- whatever way it's done. Why does it have to be a fifty-fifty partnership? I don't know much about how the League of Ireland thing is structured, but that's well, very it's, much it's an it's FAI. It is
2: now, yeah. Like the previous season it started out being a GA, GA though. That was a COVID thing. I, I wonder, Sports yeah.
1: want to own their own rights, and the GA. Yeah. And and the other argument, about we are required to show these 16 games I would imagine that when RTE are in negotiations with the GA for TV rights, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, they hold most of the aces because there's nobody else going to pay what they're going to pay or show the amount of games that they're going to show and they're going to say, if Dublin and Mayo are playing a backdoor match on a Sunday and it clashes with Galway versus Leitrim in a Connacht final, we're not going to show Galway versus Leitrim in the Connacht final our audience will want to see Dublin versus Mayo in a yeah, qualifier but, uh, game. Yeah. So this idea that there's a prerequisite on them to show certain games, I think, is an easy out as well.
2: He could be, I don't know, I, I feel I feel on that point, and uh, I like Mc, Declan McBennett can be quite convincing in terms of how he, yeah. he sort of deals with an argument. I would imagine that he probably is on, you know, a, contractually is probably on solid enough ground there. I think there probably is a question about how the rights deals are structured because I suppose we, maybe I'm coming at it from perspective of say you look at the Premier League and it's like Sky and it's BT and mm. it's Package and it's Bundle and you have Bundle A and you have Bundle B. Mm. It does seem quite unusual that it's trying to get people's head around the fact that Bundle A is with RTE and Bundle B is well GEA go but they're sort of also RTE of a partnership yeah. and that he's that it's, it's probably right on the basis of if Bundle B just happened to be with Virgin, then that would be RTE 16 games. So that's the way it would be. Like, he's probably right to a point. To me, I just step back from it, coming at it very neutrally and like not as a sort of a a massive fan who is sort of looking at this situation of, I mean, you have, what, two quarterfinals on a Saturday and neither of them are on TV and this is highly unusual it is, yeah. this is highly, highly unusual I think
1: that's an institutional thing for RT though, do you think? Than, I do, rather than yeah. a specific RT sports uh, I, think, issue. I think
2: if you're doling out the package, surely to a point I would have to put back a little bit and say well you know what visibility will there be for these games yeah. that we're putting out there, and maybe it's just that people are learning, and they've now all these. This Ferrari this year has highlighted things that can be easily fixed for next year, yeah. um, and maybe you just you can tweak some of these things to avoid. It. I think that will probably. Happen. I would assume that's what's going to happen ultimately because uh, it's a it's an odd one.
0: You know? Yeah, it's all just a little bit clouded as to how yeah. decisions are made. Like I think, for instance, so there's a lot of focus on RTE quite rightly, but I mean. Tom Ryan's point that, hey, listen, CCCC set the games you know, there's a Chinese wall here. We, we had nothing to do with them. They're totally independent. Yeah, well, mm. think about that. So the CCCC are of the GEA. They know that the games on Saturday go on GEA Go. They know that GEA Go is owned by the GEA. And so the better GEA Go does, the better for everyone. They're not so, totally independent. Like, in- I, d- I don't think yeah. they're blind to the fact that if they put a game on Saturday, it's going to be on GAA Go. So I mean, the independent line, the they're totally they're independent, beings. conjures
1: up an image of that there's somebody from Stokes yeah. Kennedy Crowley brought in, and to, they're all internal so they GAA like, men and
0: go, women. They, they CCCC will know GAA Go doing well is good for GAA. So actually, well, that's a juicy game, Kerry Tyrone. Will we put Kerry on the Saturday or Dolan? And then and, and so like their decision making has to be either consciously or unconsciously informed by the fact that they want G.A. Go and the G.A. to thrive. So they put certain games on a Saturday knowing they'll be on G.A. Go. So I don't really buy the oh no, we're independent. Like we do. Jeez, that was a shock to us. It was the Saturday game on it G.A. Go? A, We'd no idea. It's
2: incredibly inefficient. <laughs> that's <okay>. You know, <laughs> yeah. like it, oh, I think you're 100% right. Yeah, you know that's exactly
1: like there, there is influence. So what's in, the point of G.A. Go? And, and it probably has to be similar to the G.A.'s ethos in general which is that there are times when it's going to show games that it don't have a huge amount it should of be public set,
0: interest. It, yeah, it should and be
1: there are times when it will show games that are commercially viable, viable yeah. that help it to make money.
0: And to be fair, that's a very difficult balance, it commercially is. viable. It's but very the GA
1: is doing that every day in pretty much everything it does. Maybe. And it makes a lot of mistakes in doing it. And it, does some, it does some good things as well. Yeah. But sh- sh- when you like, get but to but the last seven games of the football championship you know four quarterfinals two semifinals yeah. and final. should any of those games be on the streaming ask, service so I
0: don't think so and I don't right. think many GA people would there. Yeah I was going to ask well do you think GAA Go should be just doing the, the, the lesser games that may only get an audience of 1500 or 1000 as we heard and then once you get to anything that's in any way interesting the GAA and so by extension GAA Go should genuflect and say free to air
1: I'm going to say it. in the quarter-finals I mean let's say again take a let's say Kerry and Dublin were drawn in a group stage match and, the, and it's not on live TV like that would be a very commercially viable game yeah. for G.A. Go I'm just saying when you get to there's seven games left in, in the football championship Full quarterfinals, two semifinals, and a final. I personally don't think any of those should be free. Should be should be on GA yeah, go. Okay. At that point,
2: I'd say a lot of people agree. That with would that. make sense. I guess the, is the argument. Uh, I presume it's a financial argument that the commercially successful games in GA go help you to pay the costs of covering games that previously would have been ten seconds. I'm, highlights. I'm not sure that it's or, or is it, or is it or is that should that service be provided anyway I, independently? I, I'm not.
1: I wouldn't be sure. And I mean, this is a question for RG And again, this is something that could have been teased out and, and was. And what were the two games on the Saturday on GAA go simply because RTE wouldn't show them live? Was it because there was nowhere else for them to go other than GAA go, or was it that there was a contract? It was predetermined that there would be two Saturday games in the. It seems finalists. to be predetermined by the predetermined contract.
2: Too. Yeah, I think that seems to be
0: the. Interestingly, RTE said they take the the profits from GAA go and use them to buy Alliance League <sighs> rights for RTE. It's like, mm. The whole circular. thing is very energy, but
2: a lot of it comes back to. I mean, like you see, like the, the, the monopoly to a degree that RSG has around sports coverage in this country, in this country and not enough errors at times or not enough room in the schedule I mean there's a broader debate I mean that's why I felt that this broadcasting and not enough vehicles yeah, it. like and, and there was stuff later on where TG Catter were being asked well, what would you like to do yeah. and they were talking about you know well if we could get an extra 2 million then maybe we could cover more uh, I think they were talking maybe more women's league of Ireland and maybe more women's rugby and this is the thing like I mean, and, and this I think there is a valid criticism of RTE yeah. around this the, the, some of the rights that they take up they take up a lot of stuff but then they don't necessarily have a, a home for it. an
1: outlet for, it. and
2: it's it's you know other stations clearly are trying to do things in a different way. Like you know the whole point about Virgin was well they don't want to do an outside broadcast per se of this stuff. They want to, and I've seen that in the League of Ireland for example. But there there comes back to the whole issue of well the the service for the the viewer. You know the the, the old the old man somewhere. You know that is presented by our politicians that actually there is an issue around how much RCE have. And, the, and where do you, where do you show it? Uh, that's ta- definitely uh, a last, Tommy, point. last
1: point. As Tommy Conlon describes, from the cohort of gentlemen are old enough to remember ordering McCardles in the bar and the ladies <laughs> to enjoy the baby sam in the lounge.
0: <laughs> we will take a short break. No more rock to talk for the rest of the paper range. You'll be uh, paper review. You'll be glad to hear Dan and John staying with us. Back in just one sec. So, let's push on. Dan McDonnell and John Green are with us here in the studio. A few bees to touch on before we go. 2 um, I'd say two characters, if they sat down for a beer one of the days, Wayne Rooney and Ed McGeady would swap a fair few good stories and have similar perspectives on, on different aspects of the game. So they're featured here in different papers. Jonathan Northcroft has had a very close relationship with Wayne Rooney for a number of years now in the Sunday Times uh, helped him ghost his column and has interviewed him on occasion and so he sat down with him once again A check him with Wayne Rooney like it, it, it's a touch cliched for us to say that Rooney comes across uh, very well in these pages in the Sunday Times but um, he does to be fair I mean he's uh, really thoughtful about how he's making his way in the game he's in just his third year managing he's had two very different difficult circumstances he's over in washington uh, I, I guess the jumping off point for this is that he's managing like an all star mls team against arsenal on a preseason match very soon and uh, he's just chatting to northcroft about how things are going i look at Wenger going into japan i look at carlos Quiroz going to so many different countries i'm not stupid and arrogant enough to think that i can go in it from scratch and manage at the top level i feel like i've been going through a process and an education and that with every game and every week i'm still improving and still loving it. And uh, he's talking about a very multicultural dressing room at uh, Washington. I've been reading stuff, watching lectures from Oxford and Harvard on race, understanding why people think in certain ways. Talks about the importance of religion, Muslim, Jewish, Catholic. In Ramadan, for example, how you train Muslim players. These are all the things that Rooney is looking into at the moment. And talks about his current team. He has uh, Christian Benteke, actually, is uh, one of the players there. He's up front with uh, Fountas. They play like Brighton our uh, split strikers trying to stop the ball going to opposition fullbacks and keeping the game central our energy is in the middle of the pitch I never thought I'd get Benteke to play as a split striker but he's been great and uh, talks about his goalkeeper as well who Rooney can tell you is in the top 2% in the world in terms of how high up the pitch he positions himself so I said to our goalkeeper at the beginning of the season someone will score from the halfway line against you because of what I'm asking you to do and every single game says Rooney somebody tries don't worry I told him this will happen which you've probably stopped uh, 10 goals by playing sweeper, is what he said to him when he did eventually concede a goal uh, by being lobbed. And uh, something I hadn't heard of, and Jonathan Northcroft hadn't either the Discovery List Amazing. is over in the States. Yeah. So uh, Rooney's like, You don't know about the Discovery List? OK. He says, Take Erling Haaland. We, in theory, could put Haaland on our Discovery List. And it means that if he ever comes to the MLS, but let's say he wanted to play for one of the LA teams and not us, LA would have to pay Man City. And us, because we, quote unquote, discovered him. It's crazy, but if you're clever, you can make money. <laughs> Last year, when Jesse Lingard signed for a year with Forrest, we put him on our discovery list straight away because you thought there's every chance that after a year at Forest, he'll come to the US and that would mean we'd get money or we get to sign him. I mean, that is just wild. <laughs> it doesn't go into how many people you can put in your discovery list, but I mean, you'd be thinking about slapping every superstar in their 30s on it. Uh, talks about treating players like adults. The previous coach at Washington had them kind of hold away on away trips. I let them go out, go to Starbucks, all that kind of stuff. And uh, then on Messi, well, like he paints a great picture of where the MLS is going. The Apple broadcast deal is where 2.5 billion over 10 years starts this season. It's huge. The other day, the two LA teams played out the Rose Bowl in front of 82,000. Everything is set up for Messi to kick on. He's got all his mates, Busquets and... Uh, Luis Suarez, potentially, and Jordi Alba. And so uh, he may find it tough. A lot of the big players find it tough. The travelling, the different conditions, different cities. There's also a lot of energy and intensity on the pitch. So it's not uh, necessarily easy. But he reckons soccer will pretty soon be right up there in the States and competing as the most popular sport. So um, that's him. I know I'm not putting words in your right then Dan. Dan. I know you sort of felt oh, it's another interview with Rooney taking the road less travelled. Um, yeah. And I, and I get that, but it doesn't make it an unenjoyable read at the same
2: time. Yeah, no, it is enjoyable. I know in the context of it is there's another piece of Aidan McGeady who, who uh, like Rooney, has probably been in the, in the public eye you know, from a very young age, yeah, you know. Same and vintage. Football men, but, and Aidan McGeady definitely has more to him than people realise, you know. He's, uh will be regarded as a real student of the game, really knowledgeable about sort of almost nerdish sort of interest in football, but sometimes you would see him, and I've experienced it, very spiky, sh- short, punchy interview, and you think, oh God, yeah. And I suppose Wayne Rooney has experienced that too, and let's be honest, you know, he's um, you know he's had some sort of off the feel scandals in his life that would lead people to sort of perceive him in a particular way Um, and clearly America um, is allowing him to go about things differently and it may actually sustain him in the game longer than some of his contemporaries like you know Frank Lampard and the likes who've, who've gone quickly for jobs but may, may be burned out quicker by the experience yeah. um, and I mean America for him and it's a bit like the, I don't know if people saw the messy stuff during the week like Messi moving unnoticed through a supermarket in Miami you know that you've probably spent your whole life in the pressure cooker environment of your every move probably paranoid because of things that happened to you when you were younger yeah Um, and now you get to this place where you can just sort of sit back and you know MLS is crazy like even I I think it still exists now that you have to you're only allowed to take a certain amount of charter flights across a year you have to then otherwise fly you know commercial and you have to like and and this is a big land for a lot of the players over there that suddenly they spent their whole life in this existence Mm. and they have to do things differently but actually some people seem to really respond to it and Rooney who has had opportunities I think to go and manage in England is maybe you know he's talking about sort of reading stuff, watching lectures from Oxford and Harvard on race and learning about yeah, the different yeah. personalities in his dressing room that maybe it will stand to him to the long run or maybe he'll come back to England, lose the job after three months and just be chewed and spat no, out by the machine. Possible. Like it could be, could be that either.
0: I Suddenly, uh, when you mentioned that, I found myself thinking of uh, the scene in Succession where Brian Cox, who's not a sympathetic character, Tom turns to him after one ordeal and says, and I had to fly commercial. Yeah. And Brian Cox says with real sincerity, Oh, I'm really sorry to hear that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll ruin your life, but you shouldn't have to fly a commercial. Yeah. Uh, I, I read so these lezzer. pieces. Uh, yeah. I
1: read them back to back. Actually, I read the Rooney one first, and I, I, I actually enjoyed it. I, like, like Dan says, he he seems to be doing everything he thinks Shrewd. he can do yeah. to be. He wants to be a, a really good manager, and he he wants to. He doesn't want to get the handy gigs or. The, he wants to work at this, but then I read the McGeady one and, and actually the, the the link that struck me between the two because the most interesting line in the in the McGeady one was when he was talking about all the managers he's worked for mm. and he said, I understand when you become a manager that you have to exert authority but I've seen managers doing so many things that annoy players why would you want to annoy players? You should get them on side and I thought, yes, okay. that seems, it's a very simple point that only a player obviously can understand mm. that Rooney seems to be kind of
0: Innately following that path of trying to understand what it is his players need McGeady the theme of the McGeady piece it's it's in the Observer so this comes from a UK angle which kind of makes it interesting in its own way so basically McGeady is 37 and has been injured for a year but is still desperate to keep playing and uh, he's looking for a new club I'm not as quick as I used to be over 40, 50 yards but I can still get beyond people and get a shot or a cross away I'm proud of still being able to play and uh, he was with the Hibernian last season and he's not sure where he's going to end up. And, you know, it charts his career and there was obviously the move to Russia and then he struggled at Everton, burst on the scene with um, Celtic. And, uh, you know, he does say of managers generally, Martin O'Neill underappreciated as Ireland manager, as was Trapattoni. His attention to detail, incredible. Martin might feel disrespected by people saying he's an old school manager. He is compared to nowadays which is kind of like it's buried in there but like Mm. he is saying Martin O'Neill is an old school manager man management's what he does best it has changed so much in my 20 years the dressing room i came through itself it was a tough school you'd get pulled up in front of HR if a lot of that stuff happened now which is kind of I mean that Vera Pau stuff uh, from the other week is kind of that beginnings of HR and dressing rooms interacting which is kind of going to be an interesting uh, space over the next decade or so but uh, you know it's funny how the UK looks at him so it starts off Ewan Murray's piece by saying Aidan McGeaney is one of the most talented Scottish footballing exports of a generation but destined never to be regarded as such his decision to represent Ireland had the strange knock-on effect of deleting his name from conversation regarding the finest products of youth systems in this case uh, Celtic so the perception in Scotland is like erased from history what's the perception of Mickie in Ireland with his 93 caps I was, I was sort of surprised it was 93 two mm. two
1: figures that caught me there 93 caps and he's, he's 37 I would have had him as, as older as well would you? yeah, would
2: no, it. It, yeah it was, it, the age power makes sense to me because he was one of those just come on so early on the scene but yeah the 93 caps is true yeah I mean it's um, like well, name you, his moments the goal the goal in Georgia
0: yeah after that the goal that. in
2: Georgia he underrated role underrated role in Robbie Brady's goal in Leal that it completely gets forgotten forgotten, I was always more um in that he got on the ball and he was quite brave and he just he got, he got the ball moving and it sort of set the wheels in motion for the ball getting to to Hula and he came yeah. watch it back he came off the bench in that game
0: um Could you give me five moments top of your head.
2: Uh, the, some of it might involve him like kicking off at people in press conferences as opposed I'm to i the, the pitch but um, God, I'd have to think about it yeah um, they would be the ones that would
0: obviously spring to mind because I feel the perception of McGeady amongst Irish football fans would be the going to Blesi in fairness probably like unfairly drew groans around the Aviva when he would be brave enough to try and make something happen and it yeah. might, mightn't come off but then allied to that, a sense that ah, oh, never kind of. Oh, All the talent was obvious to see. The technical ability was so obvious to see, and yet, geez, did he ever fire for Ireland the way he might have? Yeah, that I'd sense d- of regret, maybe.
2: Maybe a victim of the early expectations around him, because 80. how ex- how much excitement there was around Aidan McGeady when he was eighteen? Like he was a huge like I'd say like he was a huge name even in sort of like british football at that stage when he sort of compared to Ronaldinho and all this and he really was like and, I, and as I said I always admired he went to, to Moscow he went to Spartak Moscow like he learned the language he'd like tried different things in contrast to the again the typical footballer who wouldn't go that road um but yeah, I, I kind of wonder. Like, you look at now, like, Mikey Johnston come on, like, against Gibraltar, and he now probably has a role in this Ireland squad because he tries something, and there's probably few like him. Uh, whereas McGeady at the time was most of his Ireland career was spent under trap, I guess, you know, uh, maybe the, the prime of his career um, when it was a, quite a rigid system, um, and maybe he just. Yeah, at times he would be denigrated, but yeah, there were times he didn't play as well as he could have either. Let's be honest, you know. Uh, but like it's like Jeff Hendrick. Sometimes these lads that have a lot of caps that have been around for a long time, they just become whipping boys at a point, True. which isn't which isn't always fair. Um, but yeah, ninety three caps, and he but he disappeared almost out of sight. Could I tell you? Do you remember what his last game was? It was just against
0: yeah, to ask you, when yeah was his last I'm pretty game. sure
2: it was the, the five one against. It, was, it says it in the piece. Yeah, it was. Yeah, so like he he just like himself and Westfield him come on a half time in that game. Um, and that was basically the the end the for end. them. It was that crazy sub of the Martin O'Neill change which he sort of broke from his personality and, and and really went for it, you know? But it's funny he mentions about him and O'Neill. Um, you know, he's like him and him were at each other all the time. I can that was that. the dynamic of their relationship. And they both thrive off a bit of natural conflict with people. And that's like, you know, the, you kind of have to laugh at the McGeady point. You know, I think I'm perfectly easy to manage if things are done properly. I'd say you could, <laughs> I'd say you could roll out a list of his former managers who would maybe take a different view. But I think he is someone who could surprise people in the coming years in terms of as a commentator and, and as a voice on football. I think. I I think we'll hear more from him. Uh,
0: You picked a pretty um, interesting piece here, back page of the Sunday Times. It's Don McLean on the potential gambling legislation. So generally in the main, any piece now on gambling in the papers is very much uh, against gambling and the promotion of gambling in absolute terms. Whereas Don McLean here is talking about this new gambling legislation, which has been like... Coming for a very long time, and it's finally um here and it, like, like to be fair to Don, he is talking about this in generally positive terms, and he says like the the start of a gambling regulatory authority of Ireland can only be a good thing, so it 's not that he doesn't acknowledge the the serious ills that gambling can bring to lots and lots of people's lives. Uh, He mentions Micheal Martin talking about this um, gambling bill. He says it introduces serious new safeguards to protect people from falling prey to gambling addiction, while also balancing the freedom to enjoy responsible gambling. So Don says uh, the spirit of the bill is to protect children, protect the vulnerable. And that makes a lot of sense. To that end, however, one aspect of it is banning all gambling advertising on television between 5.30 a.m. and 9 p.m. And his worry is that will have far-reaching consequences for Irish racing. In particular, the two dedicated horse racing racing channels uh, have both said that they'll really struggle without gambling advertising. Now, he does disclose, Don, that he um, is in gainful employment on racing TV. But he still says there is an argument that uh, for the dedicated horse racing channels, they should be viewed differently to the advertising you might see on Virgin or TG Cahar or... T E at two o'clock in the afternoon um, so his worry is the likes of racing TV and sky sports racing uh, their audiences are in the main over the age of 24 um, and he thinks if you if you you know if you damage this 2.4 billion euro worth of the economy industry employs 30,000 people uh, it's the 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 damage to the TV channels is that you mightn't have the same sponsorship of racing if they go under or they can't show racing Uh, basically an exception should be made for the dedicated racing channels but fair enough RTE and Virgin and those more mainstream channels. That's, that's his argument. In yeah,
2: share. I mean, th- this is really interesting. This did come up during the week in the Eructus, around enough. As I mentioned, Shane Castles raised it and the Sky person who otherwise was like, may not, shouldn't even have been there, you know, because everyone was having their GEA uh, go questions. Um, but they, they were talking about it. I mean, and I know that in the sort of the racing industry publications across the week, um, they've been s- series of columns about this. Ted Walsh rolled out, this is a massive threat to the sport. Ruby Walsh in the Examiner yesterday Again, quite similar in tone, and you know, referencing you know this, this, these delight stats again on the the contribution to the economy, to thirty thousand jobs. A lot of them. a question. A lot of them yeah. are people in betting shops, aren't they? Enough, you know. So, yeah. um, and I, I suppose I'm interested in this because we've been doing a lot of stuff around the betting tax and the racing's relationship with the government this year. I mean, there's been something going on recently with the IHRB, the regulatory body of HRI. They've been in the Eructus for some. Very unusual hearings around, um, you know, exit packages for, you know, former employees and can't really get into that today. But I guess the broader point is that, I suppose, raising administration, the relationship with government is is uh, crucial. It underpins how it's funded, how it exists. And yet it does appear in this instance here that they're going to need a massive favour again to avoid a situation that is quite a serious one because it is laid out. I mean, if you can't advertise gambling on TV between 5.30am and 9pm, I mean, you watch, as I do, because I, like, I subscribe to the Racing TV channel and I watch yeah. a lot of racing and people know who watch these shows what the ads are comprised of, you know, and, and it's... That's and I know, majority
0: gambling. Yeah, is yeah, and
2: I know, you, you know, this is a big thing around football too and there was a story during the week I think the one of the Irish Bookmakers Association was sort of, it was put out there, I think, in the Irish Times that Premier League broadcasts in Ireland could potentially be taken off the air because, as we know, in the ads of a Premier League game, you will see yeah. uh, a lot of ads. And if they're taken out of the equation, I mean, who's going to who's going to fund the coverage and, and the sponsorship of the coverage of some of these sports? You know, media rights deals are very valuable. That's been an issue recently. And this is something that's probably a quite a serious story, sort of bubbling under... Here um, and you know, the political world wasn't that energized by uh, during the week because they have other stuff to be going on. But you feel that in time this might become a thing, yeah. Um, because if this, you know, legislation is, is applied as it's been laid down, then there is going to be real problems for racing here. But in saying that, for a government's perspective, you know, if you introduce legislation, but then you have to get to a point where you make a dispensation. Um, for for racing channels, that's a tricky one too. In the context of how people are becoming a lot more aware to the the problem gambling issue and how you treat it. And I know again, these, there seems to be a briefing line that's going out there. Well, you know, Sky Sports Racing reports that ninety seven percent of its audience is over twenty four years of age. I mean, that may be true, but they don't all watch it on the in a room on their own. Sure, you know what I mean? Yeah, like Kids you know, I, I've them all, all the time, and people coming in in the house will see it. You know, so it's that is a that it seems to me, being a, a racing industry, we're struggling here. We really need to lobby hard at this point to avoid what is going to be a very serious situation. And I think it's going to, I'm not sure if there's much more to add on top of yeah, it, yeah. other than to say that um, it is going to be interesting because there's probably a lot more eyes now on the government's relationship with the racing industry. And if you sort of, you know, it's a, it's a powerful lobby. Um, but I don't know how you easily make this one go away without it attracting a lot of commentary.
1: In general, as a society, we're slowly, very slowly, some would argue, moving towards taking a certain position on gambling. Yeah. And I, we, we started off the show today talking about Colin Rourke, and he has spoken and written in the past about his experience in, so St. Pat's in Navan is an old boys' school, his experience of seeing the evolution of gambling and online gambling through uh, young men and the problem that it represents for, the, for, for for kids that he knows and knew in school mm-hmm. so we're moving, in in one instance we're moving towards a position where I think we're going to end up with gambling being very much frowned upon in society but separate to that and, and gambling funds Irish racing at the moment, I mean that's that's basically what happens. Okay, the money comes in and the betting tax into central pool, but the same amount of money roughly goes back out to, to, to horse racing and, and grand racing. And I would think that if you're involved in, in racing, be it in any way as your livelihood, and you know, at the top or at the bottom of it, I would say that there are so many things coming at racing at the moment that you're really feeling yeah. under attack. And this is just one of them. There's the whole welfare issue in the UK which is really, really starting to affect... The, the views of racing there. I mean, we had, was it 12,000 at, at the Derby in the Curl? Oh, yeah, the, the, you the, you know the, I mean,
2: 14 maybe, or really per attendance like at the Irish Derby. Half yeah.
1: what it used to be, less than half what it used to be. It's, it's, a, it's a sport that's really, really under siege, but it does have and has had in this country and in the UK a very, very cosy relationship with the state. And I think that that kind of. Co- the extent of that cosy relationship, as Dan has said, is under threat. There are things happening behind the scenes. There are scandals happening behind the scenes that are slowly starting to bubble to the surface. There's the whole issue around doping, which you know we've been co- looking at in the Sunday Independent, and you just feel that racing as a sport is just coming under the microscope at a time now that it may become a very uncomfortable uh, yeah. period for them. Yeah. yeah, I
0: think that's fair. Uh, Just to mention, by the way, I meant to mention it at the outset. It's not in the sports uh, sections, but just before the clock comes against us. It's about John Delaney and it's Mark Ty writing about him. So um, former FAI chief John Delaney recruits Irish directors for string of firms selling products from CBD oil to adult entertainment. This is just a piece on on John Delaney's um, post-FAI life and his current business dealings. So Mark Tice says, John Delaney is recruiting Irish contacts to become directors of brass plate style companies for overseas businesses involved in selling cannabis oil and other e-commerce schemes for €3,000 a year. He um, said to potential people he's trying to recruit, it's money for JAM. It's a Sunday independent investigation. Uh, It seems Delaney has helped recruit some 10 Irish people as directors for companies that want to basically sell goods and process payments from bank accounts and companies based in Ireland. Uh, He insisted to potential suitors that it is 1 million percent legitimate. It seems that um, Mark Ty has hold of voice notes and and WhatsApp exchanges. In uh, one message he boasted about meeting Social Protection Minister Heather Humphreys at a €195 a head black tie event in uh, London, Great lady, said Delaney in the voice note. She came over to me at a function and said hello, which is very good of her. Top woman. <laughs> in um, a separate message then, Delaney said to somebody, a quick one for you. I have a scheme that can make you three grand a year and 500 quid that will help with any introductions you give. It's directorships of companies in Ireland. You can't have been a director of a company before. That's all. So a lot of my mates are doing it. It's 100% legit, by the way. I wouldn't put it to you otherwise. Text me if it's of interest, and I'll send on some stuff to you, followed by a Zoom call, and then he followed that up later by saying, just a quickie, did you have a look at the proposal? Give me a shout today. It's money for Jam, pal. Give me a shout back. Uh, Your main duties involve uh, reviewing and signing signing any necessary uh, documents that may be required and uh, providing them back via email or post. The Sunday Independent approached uh, Delaney's solicitor for a comment, but no surprise. And it touches again in broader terms then about his post FAI business dealings. He's uh, set up life as a business consultant in the UK, works through his company Delay Limited, and has had a baby girl with a new partner. He's under investigation, as we know, by the Corporate Enforcement Authority in Ireland for suspected company law breaches during his time at the FAI. Uh, That's currently stalled due to a three-year legal battle over uh, access to emails which again is ongoing in the courts and in recent months he's worked with a number of UK football clubs on a commercial basis Um, he was at a Birmingham City uh, corporate golf weekend in Marbella earlier this year Hibernian's uh, head of commercial thanked him recently for helping uh, a link between Hibs and the Omnia Group Services to provide outsourced payroll work so an array of um, different uh, dealings in the commercial world and uh, the piece finishes by saying, by the way, spokesperson for Heather Humphreys said there was no meeting with Delaney in March. The minister was in attendance at an Irish function in London during her St. Patrick's Day visit. She passed the uh, concerned individual's table and said hello. The extent of the engagement was about 30 seconds, which uh, is fair enough. And, uh, you know, it's it's I'm not really sure that the point of it in some ways. But um, I suppose John Delaney's off. Um, making a new life for himself as he sees fit this is one of the avenues I Uh, I,
2: yeah like I mean this is I I suppose a lot of people I mean there's massive public interest in in this of course and it's I mean it's like you know people have the curiosity what happens next yet behind it all I suppose people in football is the frustration of this the, the stall the three year legal case that's that's gone gone nowhere almost in a way you know you're waiting for something to happen and like again you know already this week you have this big debate in the dollar or a debate which reflects like how football is playing catch up majorly because, as has been highlighted well, probably was football was sort of no idea how to go about getting funding because all of it was being funneled through the, the cult of the personality of he was the man who could make it done. And it's almost like there's almost a weird reflection of that there, where again, he's talking to people in the amateur football community about something that was almost how the game operated here to an extent. It was through this. And the game is, I mean, the game in, in this country is, is looking for what people consider like eye-watering amounts, but it's a product of just how it couldn't work the system for so long. I mean, anyway, so there's great curiosity but behind it all for people to be frustration too.
1: You, you, you know, when you have the sports minister of the country coming out, practically begging soccer clubs to apply for grants and we'll do everything we can to help you. I mean, that's how far... Behind soccer had had fallen at grass and most levels. of
2: them, can't, a portion of them, can't even apply for those grants because they don't own the facilities. They yeah, they don't They're have always. their own
1: facilities. Like soccer is so far behind. I, I, I I'm going to soccer matches now with, with with my son. You know, I wouldn't have had much experience of it. You know, in, in me, but now we're on the circuit, and you go to ninety percent of the grounds where he's playing a match at the weekends, and the difference between that and the GA or rugby equivalents are frightening Yeah. you know where you're, you're you regularly pull up and you get cha- you change at the side of the pitch and yeah. there's no toilets or whatever whereas people would not accept that if they were going to a GA match sure yeah. no, that's no, how true. far behind the sport has fallen and it happened because of what was going on in the FAI
0: we're pretty much out of time is there any last piece you want to just give a nod to we probably don't have time can to I, get into it as such
1: can I just mention one just a slight indulgence in the Sunday world in the, in the news section uh, just Roy Curtis paying tribute to uh, a retired colleague, uh, Vincent Hogan, who you had here recently, a, a nice reflective piece about the, the, the marching of time and a few old journalists gathering for a, a farewell pint re- yeah. recently. Yeah,
0: right,
2: and Paul nice. Kimmage's piece, I would say, in the Sunday, End as well. it's John's own sections, so we might mention it, but his piece about a uh, sort of a family trip arising from the death of his mother. There's not much we can add to it other than to recommend it as a reader. No,
0: it's great. I mean, he, yeah. he um, when his mother passes away he has this sudden concern will, will I become a stranger with my brothers and so he cancels one plan and goes cycling in the Pyrenees with Pyrenees, Kevin yeah. his, uh, his brother, brother. and uh, he details the trip and so it's about their relationship and a family I suppose in that phase when the parents are suddenly gone and how relationships change and then it's also him remembering cycling those same roads and now wondering how the F did I ever do this mm. <laughs> You know, it's tougher than I remember so, uh, yeah, I agree. Well worth a read. Fellas, we're out of time. Thank you both so much. We had John Green there, editor of the Sunday Independent Sports section and Dan McDonald of the Irish Independent. Thanks, Mil. Appreciate it. Thanks, Joe. The Sunday Papers on Off The Ball.